Hello, David. Hello, Graham. How are you doing tonight? I'm It doesn't really matter. I've got some big news. Okay. I have a hen who can count her own eggs. This sounds like a joke. She's a mathema chicken. (laughs) (laughs) A mathema chicken, huh? Yeah, not a mathematician. But did you get this chicken from a mathematician? I'm not saying where I got this chicken. Because it sounds like a magical chicken. Mm-hmm. Is this a this is a joke though, right? It's, it's a joke. Okay, so I so for a joke, it's like a solid five. For a story, for a fact, it's like a million. Right? Yeah. So. It's it's. I'm unfortunately, it's not a fact. Uh, well, I uh, I've got one for you. Are you ready? I, uh, yeah, I'm ready. What do you call a dinosaur with bad vision? A dinosaur with bad vision. Um, no idea. A, do you think he saw us? Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, this this one lands squarely in the so bad, is it good <laughs> category. Uh, do you think he saw us? I think it's better than my Mathema chicken. <laughs> I like that we both picked animals. I'm in a good mood. You get a six. Oh, wow. That's very nice of you. You know what? I feel like I'm feeling magnanimous tonight, too. I'm in a good mood. You also get a six. I'm going to bump it up to a six. We've been tying all over the place. I feel like it's just, I feel like it's for the best. Yeah, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Window, a whimsical or interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And on this week's episode, our guest is Graham. Yeah, that would be Laurel Snyder. Well, and here in a little bit, of course, you know, we're going we're gonna to do what we normally do. We're going to tell you all about Laurel Snyder. We're going to tell you about some of the books she wrote, some of the things that she drew, and we, then, we, then we talk to her because that's kind of how guests work. So you'll learn all kinds of things about her. <laughs> Before that, though, you know, we're going to do a bunch of other stuff. We're going to have snack time. Lazy words. We're going to do some book talk. And uh, at the end of the show, of course, we're going to do riddles. You know what this means? It's going to be a good old-fashioned episode of, of, of Withy Window. I was just going to say, this. Is the, what you're describing here is starting to sound like Withy Window. Well, you know what? It, it's sounding like that so much, I think we should do that. I agree. Okay, let's do it. Let's do an episode of Withy Window. Should we, we... Wait, I guess we're already doing it, or so do we start over now? Uh, let's just keep going. Okay. You know what? Let's take a break for a second, get our bearings, and then come back and do snack time. Okay, we're back, and it's, uh, it's snack time. And here's the thing, Graham. Yeah. The snacks are over by me. Yeah. So I'm across the room right I'm going to have. Yeah, tonight we're meeting at your office instead of our usual studio space. And yeah. it feels a little different. You know, it makes well, we, it, And we had to get away from the troll just for a little bit. He was becoming, as you're going to find out later in the show, a little bit needy. He's, I mean, he's just, it was just a particularly obnoxious troll day. Right. So we had to come over to your office to record. And so we're in slightly different spots. And uh, I happen to have been seated on purpose next to the snacks while you are accidentally seated across the room, except it was on purpose by me. <laughs> and so um, are you going to want any of these Starburst jelly beans or can I eat all of them? Uh, I will want some of those Starburst jelly beans, those delightful Starburst jelly beans, which I remember you saying might be your favorite Easter candy. It, yeah, it's definitely up there. But here's the thing. If I eat them really fast, mm-hmm. then maybe then I could eat them all and then you wouldn't. Yeah. 
before yeah. you ran across the room to get them. That's true. That so, looks like a very full bag. I wouldn't advise doing You that. don't think yeah. I should do that? I would say eat some of those and then eat some of the snacks that I brought, which are... It looks like there's some caramel apple chips. Apple chips, and, which, which are like chips, but they're apples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, so they're like dried apples, right? They're they're apples where all the moisture has been taken out and sliced very thin, and sometimes you get a stem in there. Nothing to worry about. Just power through that stem. <laughs> I love apple chips. Uh, and then I brought dried mangoes, and I love dried fruit. I actually am a big fan of dried mangoes, so yeah, this is fine. The thing, the reason you are, or most people are fans of dried fruit, is because of the amount of sugar. <laughs> uh, that goes in Let's find to the out. fruit. And uh, we have... Yeah, there's you know, definitely ever... some sugar in this. I'm going to try one. They're good. Mm. Yep. If it kind of tastes like candy, but it's supposed to be fruit, you know they've done something to it. And by the look of that color, um, I think they've also artificially enhanced that as well. This uh, I was trying to bring some healthy options, and I brought like an electric orange sugared <laughs> uh, fruit snack. <laughs> So, uh, uh, it was delicious. The delicious quota has been met. The healthy quota, half, a uh, half measure. So, for as far as snack time goes, <laughs> it's been met. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I also brought you a special treat. So, last, last you year, you did last year, last week, <laughs> um, we had moon pie. So, uh, I decided to do a little experiment with oh, one oh. of them and create a sun pie. <laughs> So I put it out. I thought you, were, you you left a moon pie outside for a week? Well, I brought it in at night because then I didn't want the moon to influence it. Oh, right. So now it's kind of, it's, oh. it's more of like a sun soup. Uh, <laughs> but here you go. And here's a straw. Uh, sun pie. It, it looks kind of like oatmeal. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And, okay, it's a little... Um, I guess I can see that that's where the cream in the inside was. Um, yep. Is that dark does, stuff? That was the chocolate? Uh, it's hard to say. Yeah, pick the leaves out. Pick those leaves out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See those? Okay. Yeah. And the dirt. Oh, there might be. I don't know if it's chocolate or dirt. Uh, but, and, okay. And, and you're seated right by the phone, too. So if you need to call the hospital after you eat this. Okay. Hold on. Easy access. I think my first response to this before tasting it is, I think the word pie is doing a lot of work here. Well. It's, it's no longer a pie. It's not a, it's, it, the pie characteristics of it are gone. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? I'll try anything. So here we go. Here we go. Oh, um, no. Um, it doesn't taste like sun at all. Oh. It doesn't. Um, we're going to have to take another break. We'll be back. Back, back, uh, we'll be back in a minute. I'm not sure how I'm going to be feeling after eating. You look a lot better, and you're not nearly as blue as I was. As you were ten minutes ago. Uh, I mean, I was hoping that sun pie would be more of like like vitamin D. Yeah, but as we've shown earlier, any attempt at healthy living, healthy food yeah. options, yeah, um, we screw that up. Yeah, inevitably, every time we screw that up. I'll admit the sun pie was an experiment. I'll keep trying. Okay, yeah. Let's let's uh, we might want to tweak that one. Okay, maybe I'll just put one under like a strong UV light. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, well, Graham, what you just did there, this 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 sun pie experiment, is the opposite of lazy. It's taking a lot of work. Mm -hmm. However, 
We are now at everybody's new favorite segment. Lazy words. Graham, do you have a lazy word for us this week? I do. But before we get to that lazy word, we are going to um, revisit last week's. Oh, right. Last week's lazy word was brownie, which I, and I think you agree, um, I thought was a very boring word for a very delicious treat. And you suggested chock-a-block. Chock-a-block. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got some other suggestions coming in from the kids. Which they emailed to podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. That's correct. Uh, so the Nygards think it should be called chocolate gooey goodness. Chocolate gooey. I feel like the Nygards are all in on lazy words. That's not the first time they've been. Pretty sure you're sure. right. Uh, Caleb, who's nine years old, thinks it should be called Cocoa Cube. Cocoa Cube. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Asher, who's 10, thinks it should be called Sugary Cocoa Profoundly Puffy Prism. <laughs> good job. That is not a lazy that is phrase. Not, that is not lazy. No. Yeah. Grace thinks it should be called Fudge Bricks. Very good. That's a good one. Uh, and Leah thinks it should be called Wonder of Wonders or <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I like that. I got one for you. I thought of one. Oh, yeah. You got one? Chocolatey mattress. A a chocolatey mattress? Yeah, it's like a mattress. This sounds so gross. (laughs) Chocolatey mattress. (laughs) You don't like that one? It's like a mattress because of it's it's a rectangle. Well, you know what? I worked really hard, so at least it wasn't lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that sun pie is messing with your brain. Oh, Uh, The last one is from... Where am I? Elizabeth. And she thinks it should be called disgusting goo. What? She doesn't like brownies? No. She thinks it should be called that, so it turns people off from oh. brownies, and she gets more brownies. Oh, Little. that is clever. It's tri- tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky. That's right. Because uh, exactly, if you handed me something and you said, this is disgusting goo, I'd be like, nah, I'm not going to eat that. But if you hand it to me and you say, this is sun pie, exactly. I'm much more likely to eat it. It's just like my dad used to do, and probably still does to my grandkids, um, to my grandkids, to his grandkids. <laughs> Who are your kids? If they, if somebody brings dessert to the table and the kids say, what is that? He says, it's gross. You wouldn't like it. <laughs> and then he pretends to hoard it it's all. It's the surest sign that you're going to like it when an adult goes, it's terrible. You will not like it. <laughs> but le- although, let me tell you, Sun Pie, genuinely terrible. Don't try that. <laughs> I'm, not fa- I'm not just saying that. <laughs> and you're, you're not pulling any reverse psychology. No, none at all. None at all. I'm pulling directly forward psycho i don't know what's regular but it's the opposite of reverse <laughs> psychology uh, yeah. forward psychology <laughs> oh man okay this week's lazy yeah this word. week's lazy word it's a good one okay you love it i do yeah okay we watch it you watch it most I, people in america watch it people in england watch it but it's different there okay. it's a sport that we like to watch in the fall and culminates in a big bowl. Football. Football. Uh, you know what's weird about it is it's kind of, it doesn't, it's, first of all, it's a lazy word. Because mm. it's just a foot and a ball. Second of all, though, it doesn't even make sense for the sport. It, right. <laughs> so they were, yes, They just exactly. borrowed the name of a completely other sport. The soccer that sport. That had actual logical reasons for calling it such yes and it, i mean if if i th- i feel like we could safely categorize bass or, or or say the same thing about basketball right 
So football, yeah, they put it's a, a game. peach basket on top of a pole, and we're like, we're gonna throw this ball into that basket. Let's call it basketball. Yes. And when soccer first started in in Europe, they they call that football. They're like, we're gonna use our foot, yeah. to kick this ball. Yeah, true. It's just so profoundly lazy, in my opinion. You know what? There are some sports that have names that aren't lazy, though. Golf, lacrosse, hockey, I suppose. But I feel like there's probably something that. That it's just like actually lazy. It's just, we don't know the word. It's French or something that just means it's the French word for ice stick. For ice, for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the thing. See, if 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 the people who named football named hockey, they would have called it ice stick puck net. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes sports have nicknames that are good though, like oh. hoops. Basketball, we call it hoops, hoops. which. I guess it's still kind of lazy because you're like, I'm just going to play that game where I throw the thing into the hoop. But the hoop is the nick, the nickname for the basket. Yeah. It's, exa- it's, a, it's, yes. And then you add that S on or a Z. That's true. You know. Hoops. 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 Yeah. Okay. So if kids want to rename the sport of football, they can. Or basketball. Okay. So we'll do either one. Mm-hmm. Two lazy words. Okay. So if you think you have a better name for football or basketball, you can email us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com. But we need to see if we can come up with a couple first, though. Do you have any ideas for, for football or basketball? Here's one. There's 11 men on each side, right? Elevensies. Elevensies? <laughs> it's the most remarkable name I've ever heard for football. It's just a bunch of men drinking tea in the middle of a field. <laughs> And then like we're describing golf. Eleven <laughs> <laughs> Zs. Bash, bash, tackle, tackle. You know, I'm going to let you run with these. <laughs> I'm not coming up with anything good for these. I, I like both of those very much, but I bet the kids. Well, will yeah, the come kids up will have good ones. Yeah, okay, they'll come up. So with again, podcast at goldberrybooks.com. Graham, I guess that brings us to the end of this segment of lazy words for this week. Do you do you want to say anything else about lazy words, or sh- or should we just should we just move on? Are you, like... On to book time. But before we do book time, we got to talk about our friends who help people write books. You you remember Sam Smith, right? You S- are SD Smith. I know what you're going to talk about. You you do. Yeah. Which what is it? The Fuchsia Writer. <laughs> you know his thing that we're going to talk about here. His program is not called the Fuchsia Writer, but I am forever. Into the future, going to refer to S.D. Smith as the future writer. The future writer. His program may be the green writer, also known last season as the green writer. But S.D. Smith, officially the future writer. So everybody that when you see him, next time you see him at a homeschool convention or a book fair or, I don't know, on Instagram, refer to him as the future writer and give Graham Pittman credit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about a book. But one of the great things about talking about books is that When you talk about a book and you think about how exciting books are, you think, I wish I could do that. Well, S.D. Smith's program, The Green Writer, is for people who want to be an aspiring aspiring writer. So if you or someone you love, like a sibling or one of the children in your family, want to be a writer, then The Green Writer is, is a perfect course for you because it's an audacious invitation to writers who aspire to create and share excellent stories. With motivation, inspiration, and instruction, author S.D. Smith invites writers to launch into their writing adventure with confidence and competence. The aim of this course is to become a green writer. That's 
someone who is growing and going or going and growing. It just depends on which order you want to put them in. So you can try three free lessons and get the Green Rider at greenrider.sdsmith.com. So again, greenrider.sdsmith.com and you can get three free lessons. But then, don't forget this part, you can also use the code WITHYWINDLE, W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E for $10 off the course. So Graham, that's three free lessons plus $10 off when you use the code WITHYWINDLE. That seems like a pretty good deal to me. I would classify that as a preposterous deal. Oh, good word. How about inconceivable? An inconceivable deal. Inconceivable. Both words, I think, I think work well. So again, if you would like to become a better writer and you want to learn from, from a writer as, as good as S.D. Smith, head over to greenwriter.sdsmith.com and use that code to get $10 off. And again, I want to encourage you, use the code to get $10 off because if you don't use the code, then you've basically just taken $10, rolled it up into a ball and punted it into the ocean. Punted. Punted. Football. Something you do in football. Yeah, yep. exactly. Exactly. It all comes back around. Thanks to S.D. Smith, the future writer, for sponsoring Withywindle this season. We're grateful. I like that future writer kind of sounds like future writer. Because <laughs> yeah. he's a past, present, and, and most And likely. he's helping people be future writers. Oh, that's good. Who are also present writers. Mm-hmm. Just becoming better Fuchsia writers. I'm glad I picked fuchsia and not chartreuse. <laughs> chartreuse isn't as fun. Well, no, it's fun. It just has, has less obvious double meanings. Yes, okay. Okay, well, we're going to talk about, speaking of double meanings, we're going to talk about uh, Norton Juster's book, The Phantom Tollbooth. And Graham, I have, I have a question for you that I was thinking about. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you like your brain being twisted into a million knots? Oh, I can't do zero. It's it's um. You don't. So you're saying you don't enjoy that? Is that? I, what I do saying? not enjoy that. What, what? Where are you on this strange scale? Well, you know, when I'm confused about something, I usually don't like it. But then this book, I'm reading it, and I look up from reading it, and my mind feels like it's in a million knots. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you're you're somewhere in the middle, maybe yeah. a four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It depends. Like sometimes it's enjoyable. You know, there's that line in The Hobbit where he says, I like half of you. What's the line? That's where Bilbo says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. And I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. That's right. Every time I hear that, I just imagine the the long silence with the crickets. Yeah, because they don't know how to respond. Yeah, and, and we don't either. But we have the benefit of getting to read it a couple times. That's true. And even then... You know, I've read that a hundred times probably, and I still, I'm still not confident that I know exactly what he's saying, <laughs> um, which is what makes it so genius. And, you know, this first chapter in this section in particular, I, I think, left me a little bit... Uh, perplexed? Perplexed, exactly, yeah. Um, but, but I enjoyed it. Do you, so, do you not feel the same way? Did you feel perplexed by some of the, the wordplay in this section? Oh, I always feel perplexed. Just in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this yeah, case... Yeah, whether whether is involved or not... <laughs> In this case, though, with the juster involved, did you do prefer it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I acceptable. Did. I really like this. Now, of course, this section was chapters 9, 10, and 11, which is the longest section we've had in the book. And uh, Graham, do you want to do a quick summary for us of what we read before we get any more into the conversation? Yeah, sure. So um, chapter 9 uh, finds us, finds Milo and Talk, uh, and the humbug, leaving Dictionopolis, uh, okay. and they're going through... Uh, the scenic route. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, they're trying to get to um, the land of numbers, right? Right, because right. they want to rescue the. They want to bring back rhyme and reason. They want to bring kingdom. yes, exactly. Rhyme on a and mission reason is their aim, and they run into Alec Bings, who is floating. He's a floating kid. He's floating up in the air, and and seeing this illustration is absolutely delightful. <laughs> he grows. He starts out where his head is, and then his legs grow longer yeah. to the ground. Yeah, so he grows up. We grow up. He grows down. <laughs> So, yes, that, that is one particular bit of, of wordsmithing, wordplay that I, I really liked in this chapter. Also known as a little bit of nonsense. Yep. And he can see whatever's inside. His family also can see interesting things. His father sees two things. His mother looks after things. <laughs> His brother sees beyond things. His uncle sees the other side of every question, and his little sister sees under things. <laughs> um, and so he gives them a little bit of advice. Uh, on where to go. And then in chapter 10, uh, they come upon a house. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it has four doors. Uh, and it's <laughs> this this section I really like. Um, one says the giant. One says the midget. One says uh, the thin man. One says the fat man. Yep, but it's all yep. the same guy. It's all the same guy. It's all about perspective. But he's the, he's the tallest. No, he's the shortest giant. He's the thinnest fat man. So, yeah, it's all about perspective yeah, in this so chapter. If you're a giant, then he's a small man. But if you're a short person, then he's a giant. <laughs> if you're a thin person, he's a fat man. And if you're a fat man, he's a thin man. Yeah. And then... and then, he's average. Um, they ask him for some advice. He's he's not overly helpful. No. Um, I would describe him as... Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a great way to describe him. <laughs> and His then, help is... You could categorize this. Meh. And then they run... Um, Alec comes back, uh, tells them about reality, the, the, the city or land of reality and imagination, illusions, the land of reality, the land of illusions. Mm. Very interesting chapter. Uh, and then they go on to see a colorful symphony uh, where Kronos, the director, um, leads a symphony of a thousand. But there's no noise. That, that that plays beautiful music and sets everything in the world to right. Mm. The colors of the trees, the birds in the air, the sunrise. But then they go see a doctor of... Discord. Doctor of Discord, who who is like the Ooh. opposite. It's yeah, the he's opposite. like the opposite. So doctor of Discord and the Din, who is like a djinn, like a genie, but he's... <laughs> but he's a din. <laughs> um, and he's this kind of weird smog monster. Uh <laughs> Who collects sounds for Doctor Discord? Do you do you have a? Um, it's got me thinking. Do you have a um, least favorite sound? I, I wasn't sure if I had um, a least favorite sound. I, one of the runners up was the um, Mama Mama Mama. Can I have a riddle that you did? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, not not that long ago. That yeah. was up there. For yeah. Me. <laughs> um, but on on page one thirty five. Uh, Dr. Discord says, have you ever heard a blindfolded octopus unwrap a cellophane-covered bathtub? And and this language is so descriptive that I can instantly hear it in my head, and it's now my new least favorite sound I've ever not heard. It used to be chalkboard, fingers on a chalkboard. Now it's that. <laughs> now it's that. Or, another example he gives, a square-wheeled steamroller riding over a street of hard-boiled eggs. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, man. Lots of cracks and clunks. And then they go off in search of the worst sounds. At the end of the chapter, the, his assistant is going off in terms of the worst, just in search of the worst possible discordant 
sounds out there. Which sounds like it would be a really terrible job. You'd have to really um, have a, a real a real patience um, or bad hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Being hard of hearing in situations like like that might make that job more uh, possible. <laughs> what do you think of this journey that he's going on, though? Because each each little bit here where we are um, getting a little bit of a twist. So each week, almost, we're getting a new bit of adventure, a new thing that he's encountering, a new a new character. Um, we know where they're going, but do we really know where they're going? If that makes sense. Because it's hard to know exactly what's the point of all this. Is that something that you've thought about at all? Yeah. So, um, on the surface, we see him meeting colorful characters and strange characters and funny characters and loathsome characters. And colorful noises. And nonsense characters and now he's starting to journey into the wilderness, and we're getting kind of an, an, uh, a sense of some of the new places in this world that are wonderful. But also, Milo's going on his own kind of internal journey. And we remember from the beginning of the mm. book, he was a very inattentive and bored and sluggish kind of child. Yeah. And we've seen, not explicitly, but we've seen him, because you're not really paying attention so much to the way he's changing, but he, he is changing throughout this book. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. That's interesting. And in the Colorful Symphony chapter, where uh, they are in the woods in reality, and the, the town of reality has all but disappeared, and the mm-hmm. people are now just going back and forth, back and forth, and the journey is no longer important to these people. It's only getting to that place and getting back. So everything's kind of disappeared and they don't even notice it. And so mm. Alec, uh, who is the one who talks a lot about perspective, yeah, uh, says, but as you know, the most important reason for going from one place to another is to see what's in between. And mm. they used to take pleasure in doing that. But then one day someone discovered that if you walked as fast as possible and looked at nothing but your shoes, you would arrive at your destination much more quickly. And soon everybody was doing it. They were all rushing down avenues and hurrying along the boulevards, seeing nothing of the wonders and the beauty of their city as they went. Mm. And that is the reason that the city has now disappeared. Mm. And I think that kind of mirrors our main character at the beginning of this story. Mm. So he would have fit in right in that city. Yeah. Um, but now he's, he's like, this is bizarre. What are, you know, what are these people doing? So, and he's kind of, his eyes are kind of being opened. Mm-hmm. Mm. His imagination is being fired up. And I, that kind of like, it's kind of how reading works, right? Yeah. Ways. Like we reading the, uh, the experience of reading opens up our imaginations and opens our eyes in that way. It's kind of like going on a walk somewhere. All right. That brings us to Snyder times. <laughs> Break exactly. out the pretzels. Snyder time. Uh, of course, Laurel Snyder's our guest. And then we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. We're going to eat some, uh, some, I don't know, I might have some of this, this dried mango. And uh, this, this candy fruit. <laughs> fruit candy. Candy fruit. Uh, and then we'll be back in a second. We'll do some Snyder time. And uh, we'll tell you who she is before we get it over the conversation. And then we'll get to riddle time after that. So hold your horses. All right, and we are back, and that means it's time for Snyder Time. Our guest, of course, is Laurel Snyder. She's the author of six novels for children, Orphan Island, 
bigger than a bread box, penny dreadful, any witch wall, up and down the scratchy mountains or the search for a suitable princess, and seven stories up. She's also written many picture books, including Charlie and Mouse, The Forever Garden, The King of Too Many Things, Swan, The Life and Dance of Anna Pavlova, Inside the Slidey Diner, Good Night, Leila Tov, Nosh, Slep, Schluff, The Longest Night, Camp, Wonderful Wild, and Baxter the Pig Who Wanted to Be Kosher. She's Whoa. written some incredible, if nothing else, her books have great titles. Have you ever been up and down a scratchy mountain? I've been, well, I don't know. What's a scratchy mountain? Uh, one that gives you scratches? Well, then yes. Hmm. <laughs> at, least, at least I've been down a scratchy mountain. <laughs> it didn't seem so scratchy on the way up, but on the way down it sure did. Her newest books are My Jasper June, which is a, a middle grade novel which came out in 2019. And she currently, which we talk about this in the show, she's got Endlessly Ever After, which is what, kind of like a choose your adventure story, right? Choose your own like fairy tale adventure story. It looks awesome. Yeah, look, we, we, we won't say too much about that now because we do talk about that in our conversation in, in, here in a little bit. Yeah, and so, uh, in our family right now, I'm reading to my daughter Orphan Island, and we are really enjoying that. Well, she's got, I mean, obviously she's got lots of books you can choose from. Uh, she's got picture books and chapter books and all that. She is a Baltimore, Maryland native, and now she lives in Atlanta with her family. And uh, we talk a little bit about her family and her life. And she talks about some of her friends. And well, we had a great time. Graham, it's my custom to ask you this. Scale of 1 to 17,427,000. What do you rate this conversation? It's going to be that really high number that I don't remember what you said. 17,427,000? Is that what you said? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> We're going with that. Okay. I feel the same way. So with that, here is our conversation with Laurel Snyder, which we both rate 17,427,000 out of 17,427,000. Right, we are here with Laurel Snyder. Uh, we are so excited to have you on, Laurel. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, answering some questions and hanging out. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to meet you guys. So we have... You know, our custom here on the show is we ask a lot of questions from our listeners. The kids who listen and read the books send in a lot of questions. And the first ever question we got is still the first question that we ask every guest. And we tell everybody that it's the most important question you're going to get on this podcast. It's probably going to make you think the hardest. And then when the show's over, you're going to regret your answer. So here it is. Laurel? Uh-huh. Cheetos or Doritos? Oh, Cheetos. 100%. That is not a hard one oh. for me. That was easy. She just right away. Right, yeah, okay. right away. She had that in her back pocket. I don't. You know go. what? I I I have, but I have really strong feelings about it. I I don't like Doritos. I've never liked Doritos, and I think it's because the flavors got too complicated. Mm. Like like when I was I'm older, and when I was a kid, Cool Ranch like well, that was sort of the beginning was the Cool Ranch stuff, and I did not like Cool Ranch. And I feel like Doritos. You never know if it's in a bowl. You never know what you're getting. Like oh. It could be a, it could be a blazing hot. It could be a like cool ranch. It could be a traditional. And I like the traditional ones. Okay. But I don't want to mess with any of the other ones. So. This is, this is a really good point. If you take it out of its branding, out yeah. of its packaging, it, you don't know. You don't know. Me. And if you really don't like ranch on your stuff, I like ranch dressing, but if you, I don't like it in any other way, mm-hmm. I do not want to go near a cool ranch Dorito. So, and I love Cheetos. Cheetos are like a huge, I grew up in kind of a health foodie household. So these kinds of things were very big for me when I would get my fingers on them. So we've had a couple a couple people come on the podcast and say that they they like 
Cheetos, but because they're artists, they don't like them on their fingers. So they use chopsticks to eat the Cheetos. I've heard this from other, yeah, I've heard this from artists. I don't have that problem. My, if you were to look at my blotter on my desk right now, it's like covered in coffee stains and like grease streaks. Like, <laughs> I'm not a picky person. Yeah, but, you, uh, you don't have that. You're not neurotic is what we're saying. No, I, <laughs> well, I am. We all have our neuroses. <laughs> not that, that's not mine. I, um, I once went to a potluck supper where I brought a bag of Cheetos and I thought that was like a good thing to bring because it's such a treat for me because I never have them. And then the the host was like, I'll just put these in the cupboard. Oh no. I, I I'm with Have you. A little I think fun. That, that is a, a royal gift. That's what I yeah, thought. Not like, be... I feel comfortable enough to bring this to your house. We all know they're exactly. delicious. At the end of the evening, everybody's gonna want them, but no. Exactly. It's like at the end of the <laughs> evening, you bring out the good stuff. Yeah. I feel like after he's had a beard, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we have a couple more food questions here. Um, are, do you prefer cookies or cake? Oh, I feel like that's the opposite. I feel like it's context, right? That there are those mm. cake is special, like cake. Uh, there's a cake in the house and it's the end of the evening and I'm going to like make a cup of tea and eat a piece of cake. Like that's like a dessert, mm. but cookies are like in the cupboard and they get opened and then they don't get sealed up again. And they get a little still, you kind of got to eat them while they're there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like these are like a lunch, like, like in your lunch bag kind of thing. Yeah. And then cake yeah. is like a special treat. Yeah. They're, yeah, cookies are definitely more portable and snackable. Yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick cake. Because again, because it's special. But I wouldn't want yeah. to have cake every day. So Yeah, that's fair. So uh, we've asked about a savory food and a sweet food. Now, are you, which do you kind of lean more towards? Are you a savory person or a sweet person? I like both. But I, I, um, I probably lean like, like if I had to pick like one treat for the rest of my life, it would either be butter, like real butter popcorn or mm. like French fries and ketchup. Like if I had to pick like one, one like junky food that I'm not allowed to have all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a segment here on the podcast at the beginning where we, it's snack time. And it's basically where Graham and I, while we're eating, we talk about all the junk food that we're eating. And nice. then the moms who are listening wonder why they're letting us listen. <laughs> Yeah. We're just we, combating all those healthy food messages. <laughs> we, David and I kind of look like adults, but mm, yeah. I, I that's barely, actually barely I, even look like adults. If you were to look around my office right now, if I were to show you, like, you'll see my dollhouse in the background and the stacks of picture oh. books and my, like, my art supply cabinet got like stuffed in. Like, I'm, I'm a grown up who I feel like my job makes it so that I don't have to be a grown up. That's mm. sort of. That's the biggest perk of being a children's author. So, okay. Speaking of being a children's author, another thing we like to do as we kind of get into some of these questions is let the authors kind of tell us a little bit about their books. So like what's, you know, some of the kids will have read it for sure. Some Mm -hmm. might not. This might be new to your stories. So what kind of stories do you write? um, If you have like a primary series that you consider your kind of core text, then just kind of tell us a little bit about the concept. I'm sort of the, uh, I'm sort of difficult this way. So I write a little bit of everything. Um, Mm. and I, that's not a like bug that's by design. I, I don't like people often ask me like what, like about series writing, like why don't write sequels? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like the whole point about writing is that you're always discovering something new. Mm. And I, I know you can discover something new by writing a sequel, but for me, the excitement is in discovering, figuring out how to put the machine together, you know, figuring out how to invent something. And so once I've done something, I find that I tend to flip-flop to the opposite. So like right now I'm writing this heavy kind of darker upper middle grade mm. um, 
And as I'm doing that, like my instinct is to be like, oh, the next thing I want to do something lighter. Like that, I tend to flip-flop like pendulum swing. Mm. Um, so my books tend to be all over the place. So I have, I, I would say that I gravitate toward a couple of things. Um, I do, most recently, my novels are upper middle grade novels. It's really important to me that I feel like, and, and my kids are, my own kids are like 14 and 16 now, but I feel like this thing happens where middle grade novels tend to get pushed down in content because we want them to be accessible to as many readers as possible. And so we end up with mm-hmm. middle grade novels that are really, they're about a 12 year old kid, but they're really suitable for, you want them to be suitable for an eight year old reader, let's say. Mm-hmm. So what you end up doing is taking out the upper end of middle grade experience. Sort of, if you go into a seventh grade bathroom, let's say at a school, <laughs> it won't look like it, it would be appropriate for an eight-year-old reader. And mm-hmm. so for my middle grade books lately, the last couple of books, uh, Orphan Island and My Jasper June and the book that I'm working on right now, which is called The Witch of Woodland, are all mm-hmm. books where I'm really trying to write for middle school. Because okay. what happens is we push middle grade down and then YA we push up. And so we yeah. end up with this hole where we have books for 16-year-olds and we have books for 10-year-olds, but we don't really have a lot of books for 12 and 13-year-olds. Yeah, it's true. So, that, so that's something I'm doing is sort of these, they're all vaguely magical kind of upper middle grade books that deal with some of that in-between stuff. Mm. And then I do what I would call weird picture books. I do <laughs> picture books where I'm trying, I'm basically like, what's a picture book no one's done before? So um, that's, that's, so then they tend Some of them are a little dark, but some of them aren't dark at all. Some of them are just like, I have this, uh, this series, this early reader series called Charlie and Mouse that are, um, that are very much just they're quiet sort of vignettes in the style of frog and toad. And that's just not something you see a lot of anymore. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm often trying to fill a gap. Like I'm saying like, where are the books about this? And then like, how do I, how do I write one that somebody would be willing to publish? That also sounds like those are just books you want to read. Like the kind of thing you love. And I definitely feel like, you know, people talk about like, who do you write for? Um, and some people have like a target population. Some people have like a messenger and like a goal. Um, and I really feel like I just kind of write for my childhood self. Like I'm writing for 12-year-old Laurel or I'm writing for five-year-old Laurel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the kids that want to read the things that she wants to read. But I yeah. kind of don't really know. I don't know how I would write for anybody else because that's the only person I know as well as, you know, I only know myself. Yeah, that, so. yeah true. True. Yeah. I don't know myself at all. So <laughs> well, I don't know you at all either. <laughs> so you just mentioned 12 year old Laurel and five year old Laurel. Yep. What were some of your favorite books when you were a kid? That's a great question. Um, so I'm somebody who's always read all the books. So like from an early age, I was reading books that were probably too mature, too mature for me by today's standards. Um, and then when I went off to college, I lugged picture books and middle grade novels with me when I went. So five-year-old and 12-year-old Laura were actually probably reading some of the same books. But for the purposes of the conversation, um, I would say five-year-old Laurel's favorite books were Eloise. And uh, there's a book called When the Sky is Like Lace. Uh, the, that I absolutely love that's back in print. It was out of print for a while, but it's back in print. It's a beautiful sort of surrealist nighttime magical walk. Um, I loved a book called uh, Rain Makes Applesauce. I think I tended toward, at that age, I tended toward either really voicey, goofy, or really sort of lyrical, poetic, magical. I really believed deeply in magic and was really looking for books that would like, 
I, I think I really thought that the authors who wrote the magic books had secret information about the magical world mm. and that books were how they shared that information with me. Like I was Wait, looking for This is true, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, well, I've got a book coming out about it. <laughs> I, I do think it's true, actually. I do think, I think that we all have access to things that other people don't know or understand and figuring out how to tell those stories in a way that, I don't know, like makes the world bigger to everybody mm-hmm. um, and makes their, see, like, I wouldn't say people, kids often ask me if I still believe in magic because I talk about it a lot. And I say, I don't, I refuse to rule out the possibility of anything. They're like, I don't, I haven't seen a unicorn, but nobody can prove that there isn't a unicorn. So for as long as I can stand it, I'm going to believe in unicorns, you know? Makes me think of the professor in, in the Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What yes, he says that's exactly about right. Lucy those, are, that, those were key books for me. Those, the, the, yeah. the Chronicles of Narnia were massive. Um, but a lot of, like a lot of books that navigated that line of like the, I, my favorite books have always, my favorite children's novels have always been the books that walk that line of, sort of magic in the real world or real world people going into magical places and mm-hmm. kind of the dissonance and the sort of conversation between about belief, right. Of yeah. Susan Pevensey having to leave Narnia cause she gets too old. I kind of feel like I'm always writing in defiance of that. Like I want to write books where kids get to be 12 years old and they get to be interested in makeup and and what you know whatever a 12 year old kids into right now and also they still get to believe in magic mm-hmm. um so that those were really important to me i loved at 12 i loved those books that i just said i loved and and these are not all necessarily books that i would recommend to kids today because the world has changed mm-hmm. but i loved edward eager's magic books half magic magic by the lake oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, those. yeah. and my second novel was actually a tribute to those books it's sort of an updated version of those books those still do pretty well I mean, yeah, right. And, but there are some things in those books that are really challenging and problematic now. And if you, yeah. I've been trying to make an effort lately to go back and reread a lot of the books I loved as a kid so that I know what I feel comfortable recommending. Yeah. I loved the Zilpha Keatley Snyder books, which is a worm and the Egypt game. And um, uh, what's the other one I was trying to think of? Um, I loved the Tillerman trilogy, Dicey Song and Homecoming by uh, Cynthia Voigt. Those were really great Newberry years. The, the Newberries of those years were just fantastic, fantastic books. I love how like my to be read list is always just being getting longer and longer on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, we had uh, Kate Milford on uh, recently uh-huh. and she mentioned the Egypt game as well as one that was really influential for her. She's, uh, a, good, she's a good, good friend of mine. She and I oh, received. nice. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. So Laurel, um, when did you know you wanted to pursue writing as a job? When I was nine. So I was eight when I decided to start writing books, but I was nine when I decided I was going to be an author when I grew up. Mm. And was it just a, a, a bolt of lightning moment? It, sort of. It was, uh, um, I talk about this a lot when I do school visits, when I go in and meet with kids. I, um, I was really lonely and sad. <laughs> And uh, I went through some hard stuff when I was a kid. I have a lot of medical problems and my parents got divorced and it was just bad. It was just a bad time. Um, and uh, and I w- I'm an extrovert. And I think that's unusual among authors. A lot of us are introverts, but I'm really an extrovert. And when you're an extrovert who isn't so popular <laughs> and you're sad and needy, um, it doesn't make you more popular. 
And, and so I think what sort of happened for me is that books became my, it's like books talked to me and then I could write things down. And it was like, I was having a conversation with somebody when I didn't have, like the, the, the page doesn't go away, right? The page doesn't get bored of you and leave the page doesn't, you know, if you say something and the page doesn't like it, it, it has to sit there. Um, so I think I, I sort of discovered that writing was this way of having a dialogue with the world, even, even if nobody ever saw what I wrote. Mm. Um, and, and part of that is I'm an external processor. So in order to understand what I think and feel, I have to, I have to communicate it. And the easiest way to do that is to talk to somebody, but the page is there if there's nobody to talk to. And so I sort of started writing things down anyway. Um, but then, uh, then my best friend and I would play these. Uh, so then I, then I have I, this girl, Susan came to my school who lives in Charlotte right near you guys. And she and I started playing these amazing magic games, these amazing imaginary games together. And then I found that I wanted to write them down. Like I didn't want to forget the magic games we were playing, you know, where we'd be mermaids on a rock and the sharks were coming and we had names and family. We would do all this character creation stuff. And so I started writing things down. Um, And that was the beginning of it for me. But I don't think I ever would have thought about being an author because I didn't know any authors. Books just sort of lived at the library and then, uh, and then in ninth grade, uh, in ninth grade, in fourth grade, when we were nine, um, I just had a really special teacher who uh, who shared a book that Susan and I wrote with the class, and that was like a tra- it was like oh my gosh, you can write the things down, and then when other people read them, they get the ideas that you had in your head through the paper. And this is what I mean when I say I believe in magic. I had an idea in my head, and I put it on this piece of paper, and I gave this paper to this other person. And now somehow they have the idea in their head. Like it just seemed, that just seemed like alchemy or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I felt like, oh, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to do this thing forever. And so that was the plan. Susan and I were going to become rich and famous writing books for children and buy a mansion and live in the mansion with all the stray dogs and cats in the city. And that was our plan. How's it going? It's going really well. I mean, I, I, my sense of what a mansion is, I've had to adjust. Yeah, yeah. I don't have all the dogs and cats, but, um, but it's good. Well, you have a gigantic dollhouse. In I do. The, in the background. So that's True. sort of like a mansion. I do. Have, that, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. And I, I mean, I have a house. Like I, you know. <laughs> I think when yeah. I was, I think when I was nine, this would have been fine. I would have yeah. <laughs> if you can have this four bedroom house. I would have been like, that's cool. I'll take that. <laughs> so uh, do you have like a writing routine? No. And I know you're supposed to, and people say you have to write every day. Um, I believe that you we have- don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've had two years of overseeing distance learning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, what I always tell kids is, if you, I suggest that everybody take five minutes every day, completely isolated from input, like isolated from television, screens, books, music, parents, friends, all of it. And you lay on the floor in your room, or if you don't have a room of your own, you lay, you know, in the backyard or in the grass, in the, closet, <laughs> the bathtub, wherever you got to go. But you lay there for five minutes and you stare at the ceiling and you don't do anything, but just try and sort of let your mind get quiet. Mm. And um, because if you don't do that, then you don't have time to synthesize and process all the other things that have come into your head in the last 24 hours. And uh, so I say do that and then write down one sentence, like keep a notebook, which I do. And I mean, I've got like 14 of them right here, but um, you, and you write down a sentence in your notebook. And, and then if you do that every day, if you set the bar very, very low, 
um, a sentence and five minutes. And if you do that every day, you make the time for that every day. I feel like you're always in the process of thinking and, and making the work, even mm-hmm. if you don't have time to sit down for five hours and write part of your novel. Right. Yeah. Even if you never use it, like your brain is just adjusting itself to the idea that it is, it is worthwhile to think, and it is worthwhile to record some of your thoughts mm. just for yourself, mm. not for Facebook, yeah. not for homework, <laughs> just for yourself. Yeah. Um, so that's my process. And, and some days I write a novel and some days, I mean, some days, some days I make something that somebody else would want to read, but most days I don't. Mm. So Graham, what do you think? We got some questions here that are specific to her story. Should we ask a couple of these? Let's go. Uh, I'll do the first one here. Okay. Um, Edmund is wondering, why are Charlie and Mouse scared of pigs? And they're also <laughs> wondering, are you afraid of any animals? That's the real question, so, I think. <laughs> the, no, but it's the, so the the pigs question is a really really good one. It has a really good answer, and and that is in the so in the the book that they're talking about, which is Charlie and Mouse Outdoors. Um, there is a scene that I will read for anybody who's listening who doesn't know this book. Charlie and Mouse are brothers, and they go for a hike with their parents. And they find some sticks and they see these monsters. They see these bushes that look like monsters and they're, they're very brave about it. And then they get to this page where it says, Mouse ate a granola bar. Charlie ate a granola bar. Look, said Charlie, I see a turtle. Yes, said mom. Look, said Mouse, I see a mushroom. Look, said Charlie, I see a pig, shouted Mouse. He jumped up. Pig, shouted Charlie. The pig snorfled off. There are pigs here, asked Mouse. You did not say there would be pigs. So that's what they're asking about. And the answer is the book was originally not a pig. It was a snake, which I think for most of your listeners in North Carolina or other parts of the the continental United States would make more sense or feel more familiar. But Emily Hughes, who does the illustrations for these books, is is from Hawaii and I think actually currently is in Hawaii. Um, and guess what they did? And so the book is set in Hawaii. If you look at all the art in the book, the, the, the plants and things, the houses, the, the shaved ice rather than the ice cream stand, it's set in Hawaii. And guess what they don't have any of in Hawaii? Snakes. Not a one. And so, so it was this moment of like, well, what do we do? Do we, do we, we can't undo that it's set in Hawaii and we're not going to do that. Like, do we make it the only snake in Hawaii? And so Emily came back and said, well, what a kid would be scared of in Hawaii is a pig on a hike. And so that is how that happened. Um, And so it's been this opportunity at the time. I was like, that's weird. Like kids I know would be confused by this, but it's actually been a wonderful thing to talk to kids about when I do virtual school visits and things like that. Um, So that's, that's, that's that. And in terms of animals, the question was animals that I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you afraid of any? Mm, I don't think there's like a specific animal. I mean, I think like if I met a, you know, Tyrannosaurus or, you know, a lion walking down the street or something, I'd probably be pretty scared, but there's not like, a, I don't have like a paranoia about me. Yeah. Just, just yeah. the usual, usual suspects. Yeah. No, yeah. I like animals. I think it's important to remember that animals are animals and that we need to give them space. <laughs> so August says first, I love your books, exclamation point. Yay. And I really like mouse. And then he says, are Charlie and Mouse based on kids you know? Yeah, those are my kids. So the original books were called Mose and Lewis. 
um, because those are my children's actual names. And all of the stories in Charlie and Mouse, you know, are versions of true stories that actually happened. And when I talk with these books about kids, I often talk about fiction and nonfiction and how sometimes as authors, we have to find this weird space in the middle, which you don't usually talk about in school, the space in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but um but these are books that are based on my real. So if so, Charlie and Mouse live on Woodland Avenue. That is the street next to my street. Um, Charlie and Mouse have friends named uh, Tess and Lottie and Jack and Max. And like all the kids that are in that first book that go to the neighborhood party. Those are kids that actually live up and down Woodland that we actually do walk down the street and like hang out with on a regular basis. Um, all the things in the book are real. And the only thing we've really changed was their names. And it was because my editor felt like maybe when Mose and Lewis were bigger, they would not want early readers named after them. That There might be a point where it would be a little embarrassing for them when they were teenagers or something. And so we went to Mose and Lewis and asked them what they wanted their names in the books to be. And Mose chose the name Charlie and Lewis chose the name Mouse. And that's how that happened. That's cool. Like, like like Emily that. took photographs from my family. Like those, those are us in the pictures. They are versions. Of, <laughs> like those are Lewis's cowboy boots from when he was a little kid. Well, That's really along, cool. Along the same lines of are things based on real things? Uh, Keely wants to know if Orphan Island is based on a real island. Sort of yes and sort of no. Orphan Island came about because my I was reading bedtime stories with my kids at night and we read a book called The Little Prince, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. And mm-hmm. my kids had a really strong response to it, which was that they weren't sure that they liked it, but they, they couldn't stop thinking about it. And for days after we read that book and finished it, they kept asking me questions and thinking about it. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to write it. I found myself thinking, I want to write a book that leaves people thinking in this way. And then the next book that we read after that one was a book called My Side of the Mountain, which is a book from when I was a kid that I love very much, that I think kids probably don't read so much today, um, about a boy who lives in the woods and there's no grownups. He's it's just he's all by himself in the woods living by himself. And Mose and Lewis were both very excited about this book and felt like they would like they would like to live in a world without grownups too. And I found myself wanting to put those two things together, a book that asked questions that weren't, that sort of left kids thinking and a book that had no grownups. And so I smooshed those two things together. And, and then I had to kind of find a place to create this world where I could make this happen, this sort of allegorical parentless book. And um, my grandmother, when I was a kid, uh, had a house on the Eastern shore of Maryland uh, in a town called Chestertown on the Chester River. And, uh, and there was a, we would, we would take a little boat and we would paddle out in the Chester river to this little sandbar, this little Island there, um, where we would play. And so I think some part of my brain, it's like when I was 10 years old or whatever, you know, that was what I thought of as an Island was the sandbar with a couple of trees sticking up that kind of sometimes was underwater and sometimes wasn't. Um, but I think that that then when I was sort of casting around for a place to put the Island, that's, that's, or a place to put the kids, that's where that came from. Do you think it's possible you like Cheetos because of Chestertown? Oh, because of Chesterton Cheetos. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I, think I like Cheetos because Cheetos are really delicious and crunchy <laughs> and good. <laughs> fair, fair. I mean, that seems like that's a totally valid reason. I was just curious. Okay, <laughs> we got time. Let's do let's do like one more and then jump to this quiz. Uh, Laura, we got a quiz for you, and it's the okay. hardest quiz you're ever gonna take. It's very important and it's gonna be very stressful. Okay. Francis is wondering, do you see yourself more as a Leah or a Jasper? Oh, 
Leah's me and I'm Leah. I, I think it's really hard for me to write a novel without myself in some way, sort of a shadow inside the main character. It's very hard for me to, because, because the main character has to, on some level, be the sort of conduit for everything else. So sort of Leah is the one seeing the world and processing the world. And, and I have to know that way of thinking and being in order to tell the story. Um, Jasper's got a kind of confidence and centeredness that I do not have. Um, and certainly that I did not have at that age. So mm. I'm definitely, you know, I what? would like to be a Jasper. I'd love to be a Jasper. <laughs> you know what, David, I'm going to sneak, that. You're gonna, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna right. sneak in one more listener question here. Um, fine. It's, it's short and it's great. Uh, <laughs> Esther's wondering, what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, I worked at Baskin Robbins for years as a kid. So my favorite ice cream is daiquiri ice. In a cake cone. If you don't have a cake cone, daiquiri ice doesn't work. So if you don't have a cake cone, then my favorite ice cream is probably mint chip. Like if I have to have a sugar cone or a cup. These are the kinds of things I've put a lot into. Oh, I, yeah. We have too. We have, yeah. <laughs> David and I have a list of like 10 probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, this is we really, this really all we think about, to be honest. Uh, I, um, I would like to, can I come work at your store? <laughs> We just think about books and dessert. That's all there is. What's better? Yeah, exactly. All right, Graham, it's quiz time. Let's go easy on her. Don't make make it too hard. Ha. All right, Laurel. Uh Uh-huh. I I prepared a little quiz for you. It's very, very, very scary and stressful quiz. Okay. I can take it. Get the anxiety, you know. I have survived a global pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I have a quiz. It's a Jasper June quiz. Oh, gosh, no. These are terrible. I hate this when this happens. I know what you're thinking, that I'm about to ask you questions about your book, My yes. Jasper June. I'm I had not- to do a face-off with a kid, and they beat me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they always win. Yeah, they always win. Well, because, because we have all these different drafts in our heads, and I can right. never remember what made it to the final version. We are not going to do that to you. Okay. I'm going to ask you questions about Jaspers and about June. Oh. Things that oh. relate to either. Okay. So it'll, be, again, it'll be reasonable that I don't know the answers. No, no, no. This is, you'll see. Okay. All right. Question one. Uh, Jasper, the rare crystalline mineral, uh-huh. has many varieties and throughout history has even said to have mystical properties. It probably does. If you could pick one of these varieties and their effects, and their effects actually worked, which would you choose? Oh, this is cool. Okay, Poppy Jasper, which is said to help bring joy to life. Opalite Jasper is said to help one sleep. Mm-hmm. Or Green Jasper, which provides calm and peace. Hmm, I want all of those things. I know. This is going to sound kind of crazy, but I'm going to go with sleep because I'm not good at it. And I feel that sleep promotes both joy and peace. That that is definitively the right answer. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm marking that down. Correct. Uh, David and I both have young kids too, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the right answer. All right. Next question is about June. June sixth, as we all know, is National Yo-Yo Day. Uh-huh. <laughs> this day celebrates the iconic string toy that generations have enjoyed. Uh, David and I have blocked off the whole week for yo-yo related activities and feasts. 
I like commitment. Yeah. So how will you be celebrating this pinnacle of holidays? Go. Well, so I have a friend, Jonathan Oxier, who you should also interview. And we have. Oh, you may or may not know that Jonathan is a master yo-yoer. Do you know this? The man of many talents. He might have mentioned it. It's crazy his, what he can do with the yo-yo. So I would like to think that what I will do is spend the day. I will probably check in with him, see how he's doing. And then maybe I will read a beautiful Jonathan Oxier book. Mm. Like can, perhaps Peter Nimble or The Midnight Gardener. I can tell you how he's going to be doing on National Yo-Yo Day. Very well. <laughs> <laughs> he's been training all year for June 6th. True. All right, we'll do another June. No, no, go back to Jasper. All right, Jasper National Park. Okay, located in Alberta. Uh, 4,200 square mile park. Mm -hmm. Uh, has mountains, waterfalls, hot springs, lakes, and Columbia Icefield glaciers. The first verified tourist to Jasper was the Scottish poet-explorer James Carnegie in 1859. Oh, James. Oh, Jamie. Yeah, sure he was. What were his first uttered words upon visiting this (laughs) majestic site? Whoa! Yeah, I'm like, I... Like, I've got, man, it's, it's big, it's, or... It's multiple choice. But it's going to be something like, like, by my, like, by my troth. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a vast wilderness, and I am happy, or something like that. Oh, this is, it's multiple choice, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you got this. All right, A, is that bear supposed to be looking at us like that? <laughs> uh, B, ah, uh, yes, so much better than Saskatchewan. <laughs> uh, three. What a spot for tea or D, uh, because he's Scottish, no one could understand what he said anyway. Oh. Wait, he's one of those? But, but <laughs> Maybe. I think what a spot for tea? Uh, nobody knows exactly what he said. I just oh. made all of these up, but that <laughs> one is the most realistic uh, or the Saskatchewan shaming one. I mean, yeah. where isn't a good spot for tea? Exactly. It's true. It's true. And all, and really, all bears. The question is: Is that bear supposed to be looking at me like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Final question. Going back to June. All right. The summer solstice in the northern hemisphere happens on June twentieth. Okay. Uh, people all over celebrate it in different ways. Uh, which of these is not a real summer solstice celebration? Uh. The Alaska Gold Panners of Fairbanks uh, is a baseball team, and mm-hmm. uh, they play a game every summer solstice for the last 120 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts at 10 p.m., stretches into the following day. It's bright the whole time. Uh, number two, uh, in the middle of Times Square, uh, NYC, thousands of yoga enthusiasts descend to stretch out together for an all-day yoga event. I totally believe that one. Because nothing says summer solstice like getting a sunburn next to a lot of pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> or three, the Lord of the Rings extended edition movie marathon that David and I host every June 20th, where we get together to watch uh, all of Peter Jackson's delightful adaptations 2.8 times over the course of 24 hours. Hmm. 2.8 times. I, I hope that one's true. You just said you have young children, so you can't possibly be 
committing all that time to watching movies. Our wives are not big fans of June 20th. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Then I'm going to say the first one's not true. It's the it's the Lord of the Rings one that's not true. Yeah, see, he threw me off when he said uh, you knew it. I know what. Yeah, I, I had already it. I had already locked it in as soon as you said it. But yeah. I love watching Lord of the Rings back to back to back. I will do that all day long. So yeah. maybe we should just make it. We should just push for June twentieth, the National Lord of the Rings. I'll come up, watch marathon holiday. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. um, we would also like to do that. Our wives say no. But we were hoping that you would advocate for us and they would hear this. And yeah. it, this is just a long play. You want me to I'll go to the like Wives of America Slack group and let them know. That yeah. what doing <laughs> You'll get a lot of pushback. I know that. <laughs> um, like, Yours are in high school now. <laughs> you don't get a vote. <laughs> yeah. Well, according uh, to my calculations, David, uh, Laurel aced the Jasper June quiz. I'm very proud. And did not have to answer questions about her own book, which is yeah, a win, thank too. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. terrible. <laughs> Somebody. Well, before we get to our word of the week, which I have here ready for us, I'm curious, what are you working on now? You did mention that you have a book that you're in progress on, right? Yeah. So I have a book that comes out on Tuesday, which I feel like I have to give a plug for because I haven't had a book come out in a long time. <laughs> it is called Endlessly Ever After. And it is a picture book that I did with Dan Santat. That is a collection of fairy tales that are also a choose your own adventure book. Um, it's so you, you may or may not be the little red riding hood, depending on what you decide. And then you get to mm. meet lots of other characters in the, in the forest. Mm, that sounds fun. And it's it, fantastically fun. And we just got to read it together. We went out in Tucson for a book festival and got to do an actual in-person author event where we got to read it together to kids for the first time. And it was so fun. So please, 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 uh, go and check that out. Um, But the book that I'm working on right now, there are two things that are sort of in the process. One of them just went to art. So we're waiting that that'll be a process and that that won't come out until like 2025 because it's a graphic novel Mm. Um, and it is called fairy hunter. And that was the one that I was talking about. It is the story. It came grew out of my school visit talks basically with kids. It it is essentially the story of Laurel and Susan who are growing up in Baltimore, Maryland uh, 40 years ago and um, their search for magic in their world. And also Laurel has uh, epilepsy and that is sort of a part of the story and her parents are not, they're separating and that's also really hard on her. So, mm. so it's, it's a, it's a memoir, um, but it's a memoir that has some really wonderful sort of fantasy elements to it because my mm. life has had some wonderful fantasy elements to mm. it. Um, so there's that, that I'm working on. Uh, and um, uh and then my novel, which is, I have finished three first drafts. That's what I would say. <laughs> I am in the process, finally, of revising the third first draft, which is called The Witch of Woodland. And it is about a girl named Zippy, uh, which is short for Zipporah, who is getting, her mother tells her she needs to get ready for a bat mitzvah, basically. And she's like, why? Like, we don't believe any of this stuff. What are you talking about? And it's it's about a kid who sort of pushes back on expectations. And um, but uh, the other thing is that she she's sort of not sure she wants to have a bat mitzvah, but part of that is because she's a witch and she has other things she believes in and wants to do. And um, and it's about the sort of tension between faith and miracles. And it's a Jewish book, but it's a Jewish book that it, I would like to think is very different than 
um, most of the Jewish middle grade books mm. are out there. It, my, yeah. my Jewish growing up experience was, was not, did not map to the, the books that perhaps I read at, my, at that age. Mm. And it felt really important to me to create a book that was about a family that maybe didn't, didn't always fit into the Jewish community. Mm. I was, um, I was just checking out, uh, this past week, uh, endlessly ever after online, and that book looks—it's—it's it's big, it's beautiful. Right, hold on one second. It's like so much fun. It is so shiny. Look at it. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice. Thank you. They did a good job with that. Yeah. Yeah, they, it's, it was eight years in the making. We worked really, oh, wow. really hard on that. So it that book has been in progress longer than my son, who's turning six on Monday. Yep. has been in progress. <laughs> <laughs> he, take, he, the time I take, I, it's really important to me not to rush it. That sort yeah. of, I, I really try hard to push back on the idea that these are commodities and sort of objects for sale. Are you talking about children now? Or are we talking about books? <laughs> well, they're, they're, <laughs> um, mostly, yes. No, but like, <laughs> we make art, you know, we make, we make the poetry and the, 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 the art that kids are going to remember for the rest of their lives that are going to be, branded into their brains and yeah just do a good job i want i want them to be art you know yeah, yeah. so all right well that brings us now to our final segment here it's time for our word of the week so um graham's gonna have to go on an adventure here okay we have our bookstore troll you know a little bit about that the listeners know about our bookstore troll and we we had this printer this word of the week printer Graham was really bad at making the printer work. He gave it agency. He gave it legs. There's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of problems. It's no longer with us uh, because it left. And then we created a word of the week dictionary. I uh-huh. did that between seasons two and three because I thought it would just be like the most normal way to find a word. You right. find a dictionary, right? Yeah. I put it on the shelf, however, and because the troll is so vindictive, one night he went and took this off the shelf, and he now has it in his lair in the basement of our bookstore. Oh, no. Trolls are the worst. I know. I know. We're trying to build a relationship. We're trying to, like, let him help him see that, like, he doesn't have to always be so trollish that there is a good side to him. Yeah. But he he is he's a work in progress also. So Graham's going to head downstairs here in a second, and he, he's going to go talk to the troll, and we're going to figure out what demands the troll has for us this week to give us the word of the week. All right. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. So I used the notepad this time. Remember last time we gave him that little notepad? <laughs> yeah. So I wrote down, uh, you know, what I need, slid it under the door. He wrote back, um, he wants a magical sword from a lake. Uh, I don't know about that. One, very hard to put. Uh, and two, given the troll weapons, um, yeah. seems like a mistake. Ugh. So, so I'm, I propose I, we just find a, a book in your bookstore about swords, give it to him, see what he says. <laughs> okay, let's try that. Okay, I'm, I'll go do that. Okay, he took the book, but he slammed the door in my face. Um, but then I waited. <laughs> that, that, that explains why I heard that sound of a door slamming. Yeah, Trolls yeah. are so rude. But then I waited a couple minutes and a little piece of paper did slide out. So I think he does like the book. Um, so See, once he opened it and had a chance to look through it and he yeah. saw like broadswords and, um, uh, pictures of swords from King Arthur and, and are battle axes and sword books 
Well, I, I, I'm not sure which one you gave me. I just kind of grabbed it and ran with it. But um, yeah, he did, he did slide us a word. So here you go. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm just going to unfold this piece of paper here. And this does sound like a word that a troll would like. Okay. The word of this episode is Goomba. G-O-O-M-B-A-H. Goomba. So we're going to take a minute. We're going to write down what we think this word means. And when we come back, we're going to share our definitions and then we're going to give you the real one. All right. I'm going to pace for a minute. We have written down what we think the definition to Goomba is. Our custom here is that Graham will go first and then I'll go. And then our special guest will go. We've got to give the, the special guest the, the place of honor, that third spot. I don't know why I think of that as the place of honor. Graham. Go first. What does Goomba mean? Okay. So Goomba, like we all know about the Roomba, right? The little friendly <laughs> vacuum. Yeah. That yeah some of us around, do. Yeah. Yep. Zips yep. around uh, helping you out. Um, well, the Goomba. Getting in your way. The Goomba is kind of the opposite of the Roomba. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a little vindictive robot uh, that makes messes around your house. And, and you're going to ask me, why would you ever buy a Goomba? I was going to ask you that. You don't. They're an invasive species. <laughs> oh, the Goomba. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not unlike, uh, is it just a synonym for child? Well, I, I think it's a really good excuse <laughs> for a child. Oh, okay. When, when okay. a parent comes in a room and it's like, why is this so messy? And they'd be like, well, this is the Goomba. Goombas. Yeah. Okay. Well, I also think that a Goomba is the opposite of something, but I think that a Goomba is a magical bird that is the sign that winter is coming, like the opposite of a groundhog. So if you haven't finished your harvest when the Goomba comes, you better get on it. The Goomba. It's a sign that the winter is coming. That's really good. There should be an animal like that. (laughs) Okay. So I have two. The first one is not so creative. Um, I have the, is there so there are two definitions for this word. The first is Goomba, an exclamation of surprise, typically upon seeing a large plate of delicious cake, like Goomba cake. And the second one, yeah. is, it's uh, it's the name for a gumball that you chew when you already have your mouth full of gumballs. So it's like it's a Goomba. Goomba. Yep. I know both of those experiences intimately. Yeah. Both yep. the cake exclamation and the. And it's like the one gum. you can't, you really shouldn't have this one, but yeah. you're going to do it anyway. That's so good. In fact, I think I, I think we should just not share the real one and just like that, that, that one slip into the universe as the official definition of, of this word. But I feel like, I don't know, the rules of the game are that we have to share the real one. So the real definition to Goomba, this is a real word. A Goomba is an older friend who protects you. Oh. It makes me think of in Jonathan Oxier's novel Sweep, the oh, the golem, the golem. Yeah. Charlie, yeah, Charlie, yeah. That book well. Yeah. So Goomba Aww. is an older friend who protects you. Well, we all need those. So let's have lots of Goombas. Exactly, Graham. It's challenge time. You want the honors? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so Laurel, at the end of every episode, we invite you to invite someone else onto this podcast to challenge them to endure the slings and the arrows of the Withy Windle podcast. Is there anybody in your mind right now that you think should come on this show? Yes. Well, what if I say something you've already had this person? Yeah, then we'll move on. 
then I'm going to recommend Martha Brokenbro. Not somebody that we've had. Not somebody that you've had. And she has a range of books, so it would be of interest to many of your readers. But she has a wonderful new early reader series also out right now. So Cool. Well, Laurel, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, fans of your fun. books, fans of you now after getting a chance to talk to you. And good luck with all the stuff you're working on. It sounds like you're like very busy and, and very like, uh, just got a lot going on. I always have lots of irons in the fire. They tend to be very long, long, long tails. Like I, mm. nothing happens quickly in my life. So, <laughs> so I've, there's always lots of things and lots of ideas and they take a long time. Well, good luck. Thank and you so much. hopefully we'll get to see you in our shop sometime. Maybe we can even do an event. Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be wonderful. Well, that was Laurel Snyder. Thanks so much to her for coming on the podcast and sharing her time and her stories. And of course, thank you to her for her books as well. That means, though, that we are now at a very special part of this podcast. Wait, what is it again? Riddle time. Last week, I shared a riddle. It involved a gray bus. Yes, yes. A rainy day, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A bus driver. And uh, it involves and, some people and too getting, many pocket yeah, watches. Pocket watches and non-pocket watches, but still watches and hats and people with children and all kinds of interesting characters. And then in the end, the question was... What color is the bus driver's hair? Did we get any right answers? Everybody got it right. Everybody in the world? We didn't fool anybody. Oh, okay. With this one. Too many smart listeners. Wait, what was the answer? Well, you asked what color is the bus driver's hair, but at the beginning of the riddle, you said you were driving a bus. But then you filled it up with a bunch of nonsense details. Well, that's because Which they would call... Would they call that a red herrings? Yeah, that sounds about right. The podcast, this is, we do say, let's get on with the nonsense. So I take that to heart. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> you filled it up with so much nonsense, hoping to distract from the way you started that riddle, which it's a good ploy. <laughs> and I, and I, I, and hate you to definitely admit, are not about to do that when you share a riddle. Well, I hate to admit that I aided and abetted uh, the nonsense. <laughs> you aided and abetted. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer, um, <laughs> you asked me. Or you told me that I was driving a bus. Right, right. You said you are driving a bus. So our listeners, some of them took it to mean you are driving a bus as in you listener are driving a bus. Mm-hmm. So they answered with their hair color. Mm-hmm. And some of them even sent in photographic evidence that they were not lying, <laughs> that their hair was indeed brown. That is the opposite of lazy. Um, and some people took it to mean that you were speaking to me, Graham. And so they said, whatever hair color mine is, which happens to be mostly brown. I see a little gray in there. A little gray. I see a little. A little bit. Both answers, totally acceptable. Everybody that wrote in got it right. And all of those people then, that means they're entered into a contest for some books that we're going to be giving away at the end of the year. And if you get this week's riddle. Not at the end of the year. Just the end of the season. At the end of the season. We're not waiting until December 31st. And the same is true for today's riddle. If you get the answer to today's riddle, then you will also be entered into that same drawing, which, of course, you can, you can enter in by emailing podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. But, Graham, you have the honors. You have the floor. You get to share a riddle this week. What you got? Okay, this week's riddle. There is an eight-year-old girl. Okay. Her name is Cuthberta. <laughs> okay. 
It's not Could've weird. Gone with Sally or something. It's not weird. It's a little weird. All right. Have so Cuth- Cuthberta? Cuthberta has come into a windfall of bananas. <laughs> I don't As know. As one does. If somebody... Um, Inheritance from the in- banana farm. Inherit. Yeah, I don't know if she inherited these. I don't know if she pinched these from the banana stand. I'm not asking questions. But she has a plethora of bananas here. <laughs> so she's eaten as many as she could possibly eat. And uh, over over a week. Okay. But she has a surplus. So she decides um, she's going to be generous with these remaining bananas. She has okay. 12 bananas left. Okay. So she goes to the local zoo. And lo and behold, there's 12 monkeys there. Perfect. Perfect amount. The symmetry is... It's un- like his face. Un- unbelievable. So she decides she's given one banana... To each monkey. Okay. So they, the monkeys form an orderly queue to receive their banana. Hold on. Let me stop you there. Twelve monkeys form an orderly line? Yeah, they've been at the zoo a long time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, They're they well trained. They know how to get their okay. food. They Got know it. what's going okay. on. Um, <laughs> so they form, a, they form a nice line. Each one comes up, gets the banana. Okay. So she has 12 bananas. She gives the 12 bananas to all 12 monkeys. Okay. Every monkey now has a banana. There is still one banana left in the basket. Okay. How can this be? So if you can solve wow. the, okay. the riddle of Cuthberta and the monkeys. In the bananas. You let us know. This one is a brain bender. It's a bra- okay. And if you think you can get it, again, it's podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And if you get it right, you'll be entered to win that book bundle which we'll give away at the end of the season from all the right entries. You can also just write in and complain about how hard it is and, and yell at us. That's fine, too. But if you're going to do that, we recommend doing that via Pigeon. Yeah, do that via Pigeon. Yeah. True. Because that could get lost, and that's better for us. <laughs> but also, <laughs> it, you know, uh, Pigeons are known for their, um, their bold and brave guardianship of all kinds of complaints. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. All right, well, Graham, we've come to the end of episode six of season five. We are now in the afternoon. That's right. We are in the afternoon of season three of Withy Wendell. Thanks so much to Laurel Snyder for coming on the podcast. Graham, thanks to you for coming up with a riddle. You are welcome. Don't forget you can sign up for the Green Writer, S.D. Smith writing program. You can go to greenwriter.sdsmith.com. And when you use that code WITHYWINDLOW, you can get $10 off. And of course, you're also going to be able to get three free lessons. So don't forget about that great opportunity if, you, uh, if you're interested in being a writer. We love doing this podcast for you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for sharing it with your friends. Thanks for listening to episodes over and over and over again, as we know that many of you do. And thanks for leaving us reviews written reviews and starred reviews on whatever apps you're using to listen to podcasts. So, for Graham Pittman, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.